This message comes from NPR sponsor Chobani Oat, made to taste just like milk. It's creamy, frothy, and great with coffee and cookies, but without the dairy, because it's not milk. It's almost milk. New Chobani Oat. Hey, it's Friday morning, and we're following everything that's happening in Boston. We actually had something prepared on the marathon bombing, uh, but now that the story's changed, we decided to pull it. Uh, We'll probably bring you something next week. In the meantime, here's this week's show. We got a question from Caleb. Caleb says he's changing jobs. Yeah, he was working at a bakery, and now he's going to go work construction. And he wants to know, you know, how can he fit in with the uh, the construction guys? So we're going to head over to a construction site here in Chicago and get some tips. Yeah, you'll know we're there when we start speaking in hushed tones. Manly hushed tones. Really manly. Really hushed. All right, we are uh, on the site of a high-rise condo building going up here in downtown Chicago. All the construction workers are on break. It's lunchtime. Yeah, and uh, we talked to a couple guys already, and they are pointing us to a guy named Marty, who I guess is the boss of the site. I'm uh, Marty Spazeri, foreman here for the Painters Union. So uh, this guy shows up. Caleb shows up. Is there uh, one thing that's going to make him look stupid right off? Uh, definitely make sure he's got a hard hat and safety glasses on. That will help him fit in. Okay. And is there any uh, sight slang that he might want to throw around? Uh, no, not too much. I mean, it's pretty, pretty much man talk around here. You know, right. that's about it. Okay. <laughs> What's a mistake that guys make when they're just starting out? Um, pretty much like you, you, you don't do things all the way through. You know, I mean try to just listen to your boss your superiors you know that advice of course is coming from yeah. the boss of the site here you know so caleb uh was like like i said was a baker worked at a bakery before he was headed over to do this might it be a good good idea for him to uh show up with some homemade cupcakes for the other guys <laughs> uh that's that's on him i mean it probably won't hurt him too bad but uh you know they might he might have to be bringing them once a week then you know <laughs> so <laughs> So, like working, like when you guys are working, you're all pretty much focused on the work. But it's during these times, like you guys are on break right now, lunch break, that's when you're going to run into the most kind of conversation with stuff. Like what should Caleb bring for lunch so that he doesn't get a lot of grief? Because I know when I was a kid, if you brought the wrong thing for school lunch, you'd get crap for it. I bring peanut butter and jelly, so I don't care. (laughs) You know, it's really whatever you like. Um, But, you know, there's always the roach coach. That's what we call the truck over there. I have three kids, and they all have uh, different lunch boxes. Uh, and it, it matters what their lunchbox is. Like, right. they don't want certain things, they'll feel bad. What's the. What's you, on the lunchbox? You mean like Transformers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they have like Star Wars lunchbox, two Star Wars lunchboxes, and a Hello Kitty lunchbox. What's the best lunchbox to bring to a construction site? Most of the guys just try to bring, um, you know, lunchboxes to sit on because obviously there's no chairs. You know, so har- the harder the better, you know, at least you could sit on it. So, like, a good, sturdy Hello Kitty lunchbox would be yeah, perfect. It doesn't matter. Pink. It, everything gets trashed here, anyways, you know, <laughs> between pain and everything else going on, you, you don't see much of it. One of the things he talked about is he wants to fi- be able just to fit in with everybody, talk about what everybody's talking about. Like, what are the conversations like around a, a work site? Um, we pretty much just talk. I mean, our guys, we're, we just talk mostly about, like, our construction, our trades, you know, so. You know, every every group here has their own things, their own problems, you know, and their own, you know, and every pretty much everybody hates the boss usually, you know. Well, so right. it pretty much runs down to that. You're the boss. Um, maybe you're not the guy to ask what everybody complains yeah, about. Yeah. Pretty much, I would ask one of those guys, you know. <laughs> so on that one. 
Yeah, you know what? We should uh, probably go find somebody who's who's not the boss. That makes sense. Someone who's a little more free to talk. Uh, hey, what's your name? Dan. All right, Dan. So Caleb is uh, he's going to show up for his first construction job. He wants to look like he's been there before. What's uh, what's one thing he maybe shouldn't say? Uh, you look like you have a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Well, like, what's a mistake that people make when they're kind of new to, like, a construction scene like this? What do you call Is this called a scene? What is... Site. A site. Yeah. Okay. If I, it's my first day on a construction site. What's a mistake that I might make? Not ready to work. Um, have your tools ready and everything. What if, like, Mike here, you said, hey, here I am at the construction scene. Would that be a pretty dead giveaway? Pretty much, yeah. I think so. <laughs> if I asked to borrow your hammer, what would you do? I'd lend you my hammer. Okay. I'd probably ask why you didn't have your own, though. <laughs> That'd be weird, right? Is that, sort like, do you, do you have all your own tools? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, if you didn't have something, I'd lend it to you, mm-hmm. but I'd probably hope that you would have it the next day okay. or something. If, if Caleb were going to come and do, he was going to, like, follow you around and do what you did, mm-hmm. what would you tell him that he would have to, to prepare to do? Uh, ready to lift heavy stuff. Um, always be on your feet and ready to go and don't complain. You get a Did, lot of complainers? A few. Really? Yeah. But they don't last long, so. Really? Yeah. What are they complaining about? Just work, having to work and being on their feet and just, they're showing up not ready to work, like I said, yeah. so. So it sounds like a pretty friendly group. Yeah. So, I mean, you can help each other out. Yeah, people give you crap, but it's all in good fun, though, for the yeah. most part, yeah. So if he, if uh, Caleb wants to give somebody crap for something he's doing on the site, what's, uh, what's one thing you might make fun of? Uh, bending with your back and not with your legs. So, okay, if somebody does that and you want to give them crap, what do you say? I mean, you just tell them don't bend with your back. <laughs> bend with your, use your legs because you're going to throw your back out. Yeah, all right. Thanks, Thanks so much, guys. man. That was sure. great. This is How to Do Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. On today's show, we'll tell you how to hit your golf ball out of a water hazard, because this is where you come for golf tips. Also, a very dignified toilet of the week. But first, this morning in Chicago on the south side, a sinkhole opened up and it swallowed three cars. Now, it seems uh, like there have been a lot of sinkholes lately. There was a tragic one back in February uh, in Florida, a couple since then. On the line with us now is Dr. George Venny. He's the executive director at the Cave and Karst Research Institute. Now, karst, uh, by the way, is the type of landscape sinkholes form in. That's also where you get caves. So, Dr. Venny, really, basically, why do sinkholes happen? Sinkholes happen because basically there is a void space, some empty space down below in the earth, and the roof falls in. At some point, you know, it becomes unstable. It begins to either slump slowly, what we call a subsidence, uh, or it just collapses very dramatically. Um, and and that's that's the very simplified way of of describing it. You know, it it occurs to me that uh, sinkholes. There's something really biblical about it. I mean, the earth is opening up, often swallowing large things whole. I I wonder. Do you know what before people understood the science uh, of what was happening, how people in history interpreted these things? There have been a number of. Um you know, of stories and ideas and myths over the years. And some of them, uh, you know, of course, go to the religious side that the gods have done one thing or the other. There were some early scientific attempts, I think back in the 1600s, that explained sinkholes and caves due to some unusual gases within the earth. Uh, but, uh, uh, but 
but it, it, it is varied uh, uh, with culture. If you go down, for instance, to uh, uh, to uh, Central America, southern uh, southern Mexico, and the northern part of Central America, the, the the Maya area, caves and sinkholes were actually quite sacred. They'd have these enormous cave entrances and enormous sinkholes uh, down in that area, where you know because of the humid climate, you'd have clouds that would form in these cave entrances. Uh, and it was just basic condensation. You've got you've got cool air trying to come into this cave, into this warm cave or this warm air at the bottom of the sinkhole, and clouds would form. Well, they believed that the gods, especially the rain gods, lived in caves and lived in sinkholes, and they gave birth to the clouds in the sky, which of course you know supported the whole cycle of life and fertility. Um, so different cultures around the world have taken different approaches in interpreting them. I- is there like a kind of a Pompeii of sinkholes? Is there is there one that people in your field look to as um, the, the worst or, or I don't know most significant ever? I think the one that uh, that people really look to is the uh, is the Winter Park sinkhole in Florida uh, that collapsed. I recall was it 1980 or 81, um, and this quickly enlarged to over 300 feet in diameter. It swallowed part of a car dealership. Some Porsches went down the hole, you know, a residential swimming pool, a few buildings. Um, That sinkhole was the first one to really get national publicity and uh, and energize uh, the scientific community. Did did they Uh, rebuild on top of that? Is there another car dealership there now? No, <laughs> no. In that case, they just they just let it go, and it's a big uh, lake in in the middle of town. Huh. Uh, and in fact, if you uh, if you look at like Google Earth and uh, and zoom into Florida, you'll see thousands of lakes around Florida, and most of these are natural sinkholes that occurred over you know thousands of years. So, Doctor Venny, is there anything we can do to prevent a sinkhole from happening? So in some areas, there's a technique, and, and it's kind of a fun technique you know, that, that people visualize, uh, called dynamic compaction. Right. And if you fear that there may be a sinkhole forming, what you do is you go out with a huge crane and this gigantic 10, 20-ton metal ball, and you raise it way high up in the sky, and you just drop it. And it falls down and just comp- compresses, compacts the soil below it. So if you have any sinkhole, any cavity in the soil that was developing, it collapses it, and then even more, it compresses the soil so that it's harder to wash away the soil in the future to have a sinkhole form. Now, uh, so you have this conference, the sinkhole conference coming up uh, next yeah. month. Uh, I have to ask, is it is it being held in a karst area? It's held here in, uh, in Carlsbad, New Mexico this time. It has traveled around the country, uh, this is the furthest west it's, uh, that it's been, and uh, we're talking uh, about holding the next one up in Minnesota. It's never been that far north yet. Whoa, is that a karst area? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, it seems yeah. like it could be terribly ironic if there was a sinkhole swallowing the sinkhole conference. <laughs> it, it, it would... Uh... It would be ironic, but at least you'd have a lot of experts there, <laughs> yeah. uh, to, to to watch and measure and and, uh, and, and monitor the event. <laughs> sure. Well, Dr. Vinny, thank you so much for talking us through this. Hey, glad to do it. Thank you for calling.
Now, it's a problem every golfer has faced. Uh, you send a ball in the water. How do you get it out? A couple weeks ago, a Danish pro golfer, Andreas Harto, ended up hitting a ball out of the water and making a great shot. To do it, uh, here's the thing, to do it, he had to take off his pants. Uh, he's online with us now. Okay, so Andres, uh, first question right now, are you wearing pants? Uh, right now I am wearing pants, in fact. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I don't have a lake in nearby either, so I'm, I'm pretty safe right now, which is good. So you uh, sent a ball just off, off the green into the water hazard, and can you tell us what happened next? Yeah, I mean, I hit, I hit the ball from the tee, and it, it, it bounced on the grass and just trickled down into the water. And I mean, the, the ball was halfway above and halfway under the water. Okay. So I, uh, me and my cat, we go to the drop zone, and uh, and I tell him I'll, I'll just run around and see if uh, if the ball's playable or not. And when I get there, I, I see it. I mean, it's sitting all right, um, but I have to be in in this uh, rather deep water. So I uh, I just start taking off my uh, my pants and and my uh, shoes, and uh, and he, he comes around, and I, I get the club out, and and I hit the shot. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. The shot was was really good. Would you consider taking off your pants for for other shots? <laughs> um, I don't think the the tour would would be very happy if I did. So, uh, <laughs> the referee came came by during the evening. I mean, they they didn't find me anything like that. But he told me that I did break some uh, some etiquette rules. Wow. So, what rules did you break? I mean, normally we have to play uh, we have to play long pants, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's just a that's just a rule a general rule for professional golfers all over the world, I guess. I I wonder if uh you know I know that in in my underwear drawer I have a range of underwear from stuff that you know it's the last pair I'm going to wear before I do laundry to you know things uh-huh. that are a little nicer. I wonder before you go out to play around do you think about maybe people will be seeing this underwear today? Uh not really. I didn't I didn't until uh until now I guess, but I mean <laughs> from now on I might have to uh, put on some uh, some more uh more normal underwear, but I mean, those are uh, some of my nicer underwear. I, I, I like those. Uh, I know they're a little bit colorful, but uh, who, who, do, who doesn't want to put a little bit of color to the day? Well, Andreas, uh, congratulations, and thanks so much for your time. No worries. Thank you. We are still collecting your Toilets of the Week. Get your nominations to howto at npr.org. This week, a recommendation comes from Stephen. He recommended the Churchill Tavern in New York. Now, we sent uh, producer Blythe out to visit uh, the men's room at the Churchill Tavern. Uh, She's in there with a waiter named Saul. So we have uh, a lot of Churchill's most famous speeches, declarations of war, uh, a Thanksgiving speech about the U.S., the classic Wilshire Fight Them on the Beaches one. Uh, there's a few that I'm not really that familiar with as well. There's a, lot of, there's a couple where there's a lot of applause and like, hear, hear, and you can hear in the background. Um, it's all coming from downstairs. It's all hooked up to an iPod that pipes it through. So do you listen when you're peeing? Will you listen to what he's saying? Yeah, I do, actually. And uh, on occasion, there's some fantastic applause, perfectly timed. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Congratulations, Stephen. You have this week's Toilet of the Week. (laughs) 
Hey, speaking of Winston Churchill, here is a segment we did way long ago before anyone listened to this podcast. You mean from last week? <laughs> Good one, right? Yeah. So joining us now, Jesse Scheidlauer. He's the editor-at-large of the OED. So Jesse, first things first, where does OMG come from? Well, it's just an abbreviation. It's, it's an initialism for Oh My God, mm-hmm. of course. Um, uh, this is something that is now associated with online communication internet slang mm-hmm, or yeah. things like this. Uh, but in fact, the earliest evidence we have is a very long way before this. Uh, we, we managed to find an example from 1917. Someone using OMG in 1917 the same way we use it today. Yes. Wait, so uh, that's what, exactly yeah. right. What's the, what's the story there? Uh, in this case, it was a letter uh, written by someone uh, to Churchill. It was written in 1917, but he published it in his uh, in his war diaries and his war memoirs in 1919. Yeah. Yes, yes. He published it in 1919, so there's no question that this is that this was really around then. Um, What's the? Do you know the sentence offhand where he used it? Uh, it says, "I hear that a, a new order of knighthood is on is is coming up. OMG! <laughs> shower it on the Admiralty." <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I feel like this is great. If you if you're a kid who uses this stuff, and you're you know your mom or your dad probably hates it when you say OMG. Well, and, I, my kids say OMG, yeah. and I stop them. We have a prohibition on text speak at the right. house. But I feel like if you're a kid in that situation, you can say, you know, oh, I'm actually citing a 1917 letter yeah. to Churchill. It's about the knighthood, Dad. Yeah. Chill yeah. out. Yeah. That does it for this week's show. What we learned today, Mike? I learned that uh, if you're carrying a microphone and you look like a couple of dorks, construction guys are afraid of you. Yeah, I was I was intimidated to uh, maybe talk to some guys wearing helmets, guys larger than us. Yeah, but uh, they they skittered away like roaches in the light. It's it's not really a useful skill to know that you can scatter helpful men with a microphone. I guess if you really wanted to stop the building of a house, yeah, that would be what you would do. You know, my mom used to always say, always make sure you're wearing nice underwear in case yeah. you're in an accident. Uh, I mean, uh, That goes for golfers, too, in case you hit a ball in the water. And that's just proof. That's an object lesson in that coming true. Yeah. Not, that's not even an accident, necessarily. Yeah. I mean, it's a hazard, but it's not really an accident. Really, it's it's called a hazard, but it's, it's one of the least hazardous things we face in this world is yeah. being at a country club and hitting a ball into the water. Do you think like a hazmat suit is required for that? (laughs) The hazardous material in question there being water. It's a pond. How to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Haga with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Ricky from Orlando, Florida. Good job, Ricky. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And check out our website, howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. Support for NPR and the following message come from the Candida Fund, supporting individual dignity and sustainable communities through investments in transformative leaders and ideas. Learn more at kendedafund.org.